Well, welcome, friends, to a special edition of the Gospel Underground podcast. Um, my name is Jesse Fury, your host, and Reed Monahan is actually out of town, coming back from a, a week-long class at Southern Seminary, where he is, uh, I think he was taking a class, although he could teach the classes there. I hope you're listening, Reed. Uh, and listen, this is a special a special podcast because we have a special guest. I have a special guest here in in the studio. Now, the Gospel Underground is a podcast where we are trying to live in the in the borderland between the gospel and culture and 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 really try to help the church think well about how to be be the church and also uh, really invite other people who are looking in and wondering what's the church about? What's the gospel about? Uh, help them to see. And my special guest today is my friend Dr. Reese Bizant. Uh, hi, Reese. Good day. It's good to be with you. Good day. So uh, let's get this out of the way, Reese. You're from Australia. Correct. Yes. Uh, Reese is. Uh, Reese teaches at Ridley College in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, you serve as the dean of missional leadership. That is right. Which uh, what does that mean? What do you do? Yeah. So I teach classes in history mainly, and I have also some co-curricular responsibilities. So I. F- form folk who want to be in full-time ministry but they don't want to go overseas and they don't want to be regular pastors in churches so a lot of students who want to be campus workers or international student workers or bible translators youth workers children's workers or something like that my particular responsibility is to train them for missional leadership excellent now before you got your phd before you became a professional academic yes trainer of other uh, missional leaders. You served for years as a campus minister. Yes, I both I worked on campus for the Australian equivalent of InterVarsity, and then I was a pastor in Anglican churches for seven years as well. Yeah, and and uh, and I you you were explaining this to me. Now you're a canon. You're a canon for a cathedral. I'm a now, big shot. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. So what is that? I'm asking for a friend. What is a canon? <laughs> so in any church, there's a board of governance somehow, whether it's a Baptist church, Presbyterian for church. For us, it's, that's just Jesus. Okay, well, in this case... Like a layer of, down? A layer okay. down, right? So Jesus has messengers. That's the way right, it works. Okay. And those folk in a cathedral who are on a board of governance uh, are called canons, and the board of governance itself is called a chapter. So I'm a canon on a chapter, which for most people means an elder on okay. the session or an elder on the board of directors. Okay. And and what kind of so describe the cathedral. What kind of Yeah, cathedral so is it's it? uh it seats a couple of thousand people. It's the uh first church in Melbourne where I teach and live. Okay. Uh and it has on Sundays probably fifteen hundred people from all over the world okay. who join in worship there. And being that you're Australian, I assume this is a Hillsong church? (laughs) (laughs) It is not a Hillsong church. So it has a kind of a regular pattern of uh, worship shape. Okay, so you, it's an Anglican cathedral. Correct. Uh, And you are a Jonathan Edwards scholar. Yes. Are you the best? I like to think so. So, I like hearing that, yeah, so... You're the top. Well, we're going to go with that because you're probably the only Jonathan Edwards scholar listening. Well, you're not. There might be others listening. There's there's no rule against that. Yeah. Now I take However, it back. There's dozens, probably dozens listening right now. You're the best. You're the top dog, according to you, which is good enough for me. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you're actually in the States right now on sabbatical. You're working on a book on Jonathan Edwards and as mentor. Correct. Yeah, yeah tell me a little right. bit about that. So for the longest time, people have assumed that Edwards was a bad pastor because he was sacked from his church after having worked there for 23 years. But actually, I think he was an excellent mentor despite his reputation. And he did a brilliant job of training up the next generation of leaders for the church. So what I'm trying to do is work out how he did that, why he did that, what his theology was that uh, supported his mentoring ministry, and look a little at how those he mentored ended up influencing the early republic and uh, Christian ministry there. Excellent. Excellent. Look forward to that. That's going to be published by Oxford, as well as your most recent book was was also an Oxford book. Jonathan right? Edwards in the Church, yes. Jonathan Edwards in the Church, excellent book. OUP. You're also working a book on 10 Great Anglicans? Yes, that's in the back of my mind. Oh, okay. Um, C.S. Lewis will be one of them. That's good. You know, we've been joking some about how little you read. As, a, as an Anglican, you're a canon, yes. and yet you don't read much C.S. Lewis. Yes, I don't. You might that's, be able to explain why that is. I think you're just a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I don't know why you don't read much Lewis. Well, uh, his language has seemed to me to be quite old-fashioned and quaint, but I might have to get beyond that. Yeah. He wrote, you know, he wrote a great little uh, introduction to Athanasius. We've, we've that I have read. You've read that, that I have read, where he argues that sometimes reading the old guys is not as hard as you think it's going to be. Yeah, perhaps even though they, he may sound old-fashioned and quaint. Oh, I think this is turning around again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on. Uh so um, when we first began kicking around the idea of, of doing this, of doing a, a podcast, while you're in the States, you've been visiting, we've had a blast, uh, been able to take you all over Roanoke and the New River Valley, Floyd, and, uh, and we, we were kicking around the idea of doing a podcast, and uh, you, I think it was you that yes, broached the idea probably. of, uh, of talking about, about lament. lament, and so this will be a short podcast, something that hopefully will be a helpful resource as we have some many pastors and, and future pastors listening in and, and really help, help a resource for anyone. Hmm. Um, and so we wanted to talk some about lament and in the church and how the church uh, really ought to be the place where lament is happening and hmm. can happen. As a matter of fact, um, as we were kicking this idea around, I was sitting in a classroom in the fall at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And um, this woman was sharing her story. She's a little bit older, uh, maybe in her 50s, 60s, not Mm. old. uh, But she's been around the church for quite a while. And she was sharing, we went around the class, we shared some of our story. And and, uh, somehow we got on the topic of liturgy in the church. Mm. And at a Baptist seminary, that... So that's a strange word for some. Mm, so, mm. For some, it wasn't. And one of the things that she said really stuck with me. She said that when she, she was going through a really, really difficult time, she had a lot of loss in her life. Mm. She was depressed and, and, and really struggling for... Um, she just... She was struggling emotionally. She was at this... Going to church, and the church only seemed to have room to celebrate. Mm. Uh, and so she felt like she didn't fit. Like there wasn't a place where she could come and just be sad. Yes, yes. Uh, that everyone was, um, you know, the songs were all uh, 
exultant. They were all uh, triumphant. The preaching was very celebratory, and, and yet here she was thinking, I, where, how, where can I go to bring my experience where I feel like hmm. uh, I feel sad? I, I'm lamenting the loss of things. And hmm. so, so I love the idea of talking about this a little bit. Uh, why, why have you been thinking about this, uh, this topic of lament in the church? Well, the scriptures give me the prompt that is of the Psalms, over a third are Psalms of lament, though you might define them or categorize them in slightly different ways. Two, uh, it seems to me that our world experiences and has to deal with sadness, but the range of emotions that we permit in church has decreased. Hmm. In the very moment when our communities, in the West at least, prize emotion, we're limiting the kinds of emotion that are available in church service. And it seems to me that's just counterproductive. If we want to be missional, we want to own and acknowledge the various kinds of emotion that our regulars and those who are visiting, perhaps aren't Christians, would bring with them to church. So the scriptures give us the prompt. Secondly, it seems to be an odd time to be limiting the number of emotions that uh, our church services engage with right yeah so so the culture more so than ever i I know this is true in america i'm assuming it's true in australia as well Um, we are in the age of authenticity and so to be authentic to who we are and and how we're experiencing life and Hmm. you know that is the ultimate virtue Hmm. and yet what i'm hearing you say and, and i find it to be true as well uh, we permit a very minor, range, very small slice of, 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 of a range of emotion. Correct. And, and we can be authentic to how we feel if how we feel is... Upbeat. Upbeat. Correct. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's just counterproductive. Uh, in the old days, there were churches that regularly had a psalm reading in every church service. And it might have been attached to what's called the lectionary, so there were assigned readings for Sunday services, and that's fair enough, and it's not everyone's... Uh, preference, but at least you can say cup of tea. Yeah, I was going to say you cup can of say tea. Cup of I was going to say cup of tea. That's not just an Australian thing. Yeah, okay. It wasn't everyone's cup of tea. However, the advantage was that you actually read out aloud some of those laments in a pretty regular cycle. Yeah, in which you can't case, avoid them. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly. Jesus died with a psalm of lament on his lips mm. as he prayed, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And there are other occasions in the New Testament where we're in encouraged to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And I think it's actually a faithful response to lament, though many Christians believe it's faithless to lament. So if you look at some of the great history, uh, great Christian leaders in history, so John Wesley said it was faithless to lament, and Charles Simeon, an Anglican of the mm. 18th century, said it was faithless to lament. And why is that? Because they believed it was not trusting in God's good okay. provision, God's promises. But Charles Spurgeon, interestingly, was of the mind that praying laments or reading laments or saying laments in church was actually faithful rather than faithless. Mm. And that's partly, I think, because Spurgeon suffered from chronic depression. And that, yeah, I wonder. that was a way of dealing with... But that's, that's exactly my point, that actually for those in our congregations who suffer from depression or anxiety disorders, the Psalms of Lament might be a real tonic. It doesn't solve all the questions, but actually by expressing their laments to God, they're exercising faith in a roundabout way. They're exercising faith. They're talking to God still, which surely is yeah, what we want. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so 
So when we don't create space in our in our Sunday morning worship and our in our liturgies for lament, uh, what do we lose in terms of of spiritual formation? Hmm. Well, we lose our capacity to pastor people who are not who are doing it tough, for whom life as a human being or for whom life as a Christian is not going the way they thought it should be. We're losing. Uh, a range of emotions that are acceptable to God. He's big enough to hear us complain in our depression or in our in midst of panic. That's right. Yeah, I, I think I, I like that you referenced that Jesus on the cross is, is citing, or he's really quoting Psalm 22. He's probably reciting the whole of the psalm. Right, right yeah, yeah. And, and which is a psalm of lament. So now you have God in the flesh uh, doing what we don't do in church. Mm-hmm. And it will be that one day Jesus wipes away every tear from our eyes. But that doesn't mean that in the meantime it's not appropriate to let Jesus know your tears. Yeah, We we, we can live too much in the future and ignore our creaturely realities, the, the toughness of being a Christian. And I think in the West being a Christian is becoming increasingly difficult and we need to acknowledge that there are a number of different kinds of emotions which are okay to have. Yeah, that's good. And and even if you're not a Christian, life is tough, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we all experience loss. Uh, no one's happy all the time. Yeah. And yet, you, the, oftentimes in church, it does seem, you know, I, I, I think about this sometimes. I've talked to people who've come to church, uh, to, to, to church attendance, whether it's my church or another church, and who have walked away saying, um, everyone's mm. so happy. Which, in some ways, you're you're kind of like, well, that's that's nice. Yeah. Hopefully, that's alluring. That you know, if that's authentic and genuine, and people really are joyful uh, and happy, happy's okay. Uh, that's good. But if that person comes and they go, I'm I'm not, <laughs> and this is a strange place where everybody has this kind of um, fake smile and and, yeah, and yeah. seems to have everything put together, uh, then I think we I think one of the things we lose is. <laughs> an entrance point for people who, who are seeking the tonic that only the gospel is able to give. Yeah. I recently saw in Melbourne the musical The Book of Mormon, which won't be everyone's cup of tea. However, the interesting thing was about the opening 10 minutes of the musical that the audience sided with the poor and the suffering in Africa really easily, but they didn't very well connect emotionally to the hyper-happy Mormon mm. missionaries. So the town that these Mormons had to minister amongst in Uganda had poverty and uh, people experienced genital mutilation and there was warlords and AIDS and so on. But the audience very easily connected with the characters who came from that world. And I thought to myself, this is just a random non-Christian audience in Melbourne. They get suffering. They get suffering and they don't get the happy guys. Hmm. Well, as a historian and historian... Have you found any good examples of lament in the church? So you mentioned Charles Spurgeon. Are there other good, maybe good songs? You know, sometimes I remember you visited uh, a while back and we talked some about the music in church and how, how oftentimes the song choices are, are really kind of like cheerleading, triumphal, uh, almost generic God is, God is the best songs. And so are there, are there good examples in history, maybe hymns that, that really uh, you could bring into a lament service or, or even you could pray or sing to yourself or, or sermons. Uh, yeah, so point us in some, some good directions. So Charles Wesley in the 18th century argued there shouldn't be anything that happens in your daily life that you can't write a song about. 
and he wrote some 8,000 hymns. But amongst them were a number that perhaps today would be difficult to sing in church, but he was wanting to honour any kind of experience. Mm. He even wrote songs about having pet cats because he thought you should be able to write songs about I having pet cats. I know people who would want to sing that in church. I know. It won't so happen in our church. It's the, the one hymn that I'm thinking of is called Grimalkin. It's an amazing hymn about a pet cat. That aside, Charles Wesley was very aware of the kinds of suffering that his people were experiencing. He wrote hymns about them. In the old hymn books, in days gone by, there was a section on praise, a section on right. the cross, there was a section on the resurrection, a section on daily discipleship. These days we just have praise and worship, which is effectively only the opening sections of the old hymn book. Hmm. We leave out eight-tenths of the old hymn books and the kinds of songs that were included to deal with any number of different life experiences or uh, work situations or discipleship issues mm. and we've impoverished, our, impoverished ourselves for that that's good it's not good but it's good thank you um okay so we have pastors and worship leaders who are listening uh, what advice do you have so um i think part of what we're arguing for here on the podcast is sunday morning in particular create space for lament now you mentioned Actually, maybe before you get to advice, answer this question, mm-hmm. if you will. You mentioned that you pres- uh, you preached recently in mm-hmm. a lament service mm-hmm. in the church in which you worship in New Haven while you're here on, on sabbatical. Tell us a little bit about that. So uh, Trinity Baptist Church in New Haven, Connecticut, has their classic carol service two weeks before Christmas. But one week before Christmas, they have a service called The Longest Night. I suppose that week is the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice. They got me to preach, and I preached on Psalm 77. But the idea was that there'd be people at Christmas time who are particularly sad because someone in the past 12 right. months has died or they wish there were someone with them who's now in a different country or kind of can't be with them at Christmas or there might be something more seriously depressing about their life circumstances. And I thought it was a wonderful idea to get people into church, to hear the scriptures read and taught, and to sing songs of longing. Mm. So there are a lot of Christmas songs or songs that come from Advent, the season before Christmas, that deal with Christians longing for the day when the Saviour would appear. And those songs are perfectly appropriate to sing in anticipation of Christmas, but also reflecting perhaps a less jubilant frame of mind. Mm. There are plenty of things we can do in Sunday morning services. One thing I did when I was a pastor of a church was in the intercessions, the the prayer time in the service, to leave copies of newspapers in each row. And when we got to the time in the service for prayers, ask people in, in their seats to turn up something that really made them sad in the newspaper and to pray about that country or that person or that issue, to build a bridge between what is sometimes a very sad world, and actually our intercessions, mm. our, our regular prayer time in church. On that same service, we paired back the music so there wasn't a full band. It was just one acoustic guitar. We wanted to pull back the amplitude and yeah. the, uh, the, the sound and make it a little bit more reflective. Uh, and in this service I, pr- I preached at, at Trinity Baptist Church before Christmas, we did the sermon in two parts. So we kind of acknowledged that Psalm 77, at least, has in its first half 
some more frustration about the way God was answering prayer. And the second half where there was a little bit more expectation of God's activity, though it remarkably ends with the people passing through the Red Sea and coming to the Promised Land, though the psalmist writes, though we could not see God's footsteps. Hmm. So God had rescued, but there was still a sense in which God was seemingly absent. Yeah, distant, yeah. Psalm 77, okay. Psalm 77 falls neatly into two halves. It's well worth preaching if you're a preacher out there. And the the newspaper idea is an interesting idea, um, especially because as pastors, one of the things that we want to do is is not just have a Sunday morning service where people have an op- opportunity to express lament, to, um, to enter into this idea of, uh, I live in a fallen world, things are broken, it's okay to feel the way that I feel, it's okay to wonder where is mm, God right mm. now. But also we want to help train and, and, and model how that looks throughout the week as well. So um, how does it look when you're encountered with something, whether it's in the news or, or it's closer mm. to home, it's news sure. that you get about a spouse or a yes. child or, or a parent. Yes, of course. How, how do I go to God with that, right? Because the only thing that, that ultimately will bring comfort to the ache is the presence of God with us. And, and yet, how, if we don't know how to go to him with mm. our aches, mm. Uh, then we we miss out on opportunities. Correct. Oh, I think a Sunday service should be in small form what you're expecting people to live and do every day of the week. So you model there how to pray, how to repent, how to confess, how to rejoice. Now, the times I've done lament services, both at the theological college where I teach or in kind of parish churches, has often led people to say, oh, I, I wasn't really th- with you this morning. I wasn't. I didn't come to church sad, I wasn't feeling sad, it was a bit weird for me. But my response, of course, is, yeah, but that's how it is every week for people who are sad, coming to church that's really happy. And we're only asking you to lament once once in a while. Sure. Uh, And for those of our congregation members who aren't sad, learning how to bear with the struggles of those who are, just once in a while is actually good for their souls as well. Yeah. What we did as well, we... uh, had the welcome team on those occasions when we've had a lament service out on the street and uh, greeting people kind of warmly as you'd want to in arriving at church but asking people then to enter church more quietly yeah. than they'd normally do so that when they actually arrive in the bi- in the building it's a different emotional space now we could perhaps do it not uh, in, in Australia we can do it out in the street but you couldn't do it as a Christmas service in Connecticut that would just be too cold. But nonetheless, you have to think about not just the content of the service, but the shape of the whole experience. Yeah, yeah the aesthetics, the, 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 the um, even the tone, the subtext. We, you know, we do once a year. It's, it's one of my favorite. It's a very sad uh, service because it's a service of lament. Once a year, we do a Good Friday service, very similar to that. So as hmm. even in preparation the week before, we remind people, our Good Friday service is a somber service. It's a service where we uh, we will end the night without celebrating. M- most Sunday mornings, mm. we want to give the full range of the gospel. So mm. we're going to work our way from, um, you know, we we want to we want people to have space to lament, but we also want people to have space to say, "Well, Jesus is risen." Mm. But on Good Friday, we don't. We, we just don't say, resolve. Yeah, this is. We want to go into the weekend with that sense of. 
this loss. is bad loss. Yeah. And it's, it's a really difficult service. We actually, so the service is darker. It's more scaled back. Uh, we're singing laments, psalms, and songs. Uh, we're reading through the story right up to the, to the crucifixion. We're, there are even t- uh, really kind of palpable, uh, you know, one of the things that this affected me greatly. It's even affecting me now thinking about it. Uh, I do the reading, one of the, one of the reading parts for the service. And um, when Jesus is nailed to the cross, uh, whoever's doing the reading or whoever's close to the, to the steel actually hammers steel with a hammer oh, wow. three times wow. each wow. time we mention it. And it just strikes you, you know, like yes. in the chest, you just feel it. You think, if I were there, I would be hearing this. Yes. And then we end with silence. Yes. And we actually ask people to leave without talking. So normally you in church and you, you want to talk about your, what you want to do next or, you of know, course, you pleasantries. And we end with silence and you just leave. It. Now, the, the, the fun thing about, well, not the powerful thing about this is then when we all come back on Sunday morning, and we celebrate. He's risen. Yes. It's just, it, there's a new feel to it, a new power to it. And so, uh, yes, yeah, the I, dynamics, I, yeah. the dynamics of those services, having one that's pulling back a long way, and then on Easter Sunday, having a, a service that's highly celebratory is wonderful. And, and it, it's kind of pushing emotions in both directions, which is going to be healthy for us. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, you mentioned something to me as we were talking about lament and, and spending time in the in the lament psalms. And um, I wonder if I could draw this out of you. You, you mentioned that by, by speaking it out. You remember what you said? S- say it for us again, Reese. So there'll be a lot of uh, pastors who speak the slogan, name it and claim it, which I find really difficult for lots of, for lots of theological reasons. But I actually think there's value nonetheless to name it in order to train it. That is, we receive some kind of like that. power over our emotions when we can put them into words. That doesn't mean that they resolve or go away, uh, but it does mean at least that the emotion has to some degree been externalized and it's now left my body, as it were, through my breath and has become something more objectively real outside of me. And I think that's good for us. And I think part of the job of pastors is to help people in our congregations find words to describe the kinds of experiences they have. That's part. That's a core part of the job of being pastor. And that's no less true in dealing with lament, that we want to name it to train it. And to some sense, create some structure in which it feels less chaotic, less powerful, less destabilizing. That's right. Yeah, that's good. So name it and train it is okay. Name it and claim it. We're s- that's not okay. No, I, I don't want to think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Name it and train it. Name it to train it. I like that. Um, Reese, thank you so much for entering into this, and 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 uh, and I'd love to before we close out today as. We, uh, Hopefully our listeners, I know I'm even going to walk away thinking about how can we do Sunday morning in a way that, that gives space to the full range of emotion that helps helps uh, model what it looks like to, to give words to how I'm doing, to, to speak them to the Lord and not just to other people or uh, to my um, internet audience or, or whatever. Um, uh, so a um, lot to think about. And a lot, even in personal, my personal life, you know, thinking it through, the power mm. of speaking out how I'm doing, mm. speaking it to the Lord, a- in order to train it, to train myself, mm. uh, to train myself not 
to never be sad, uh, but to train myself in how do I how do I trust in Jesus who has overcome and who will overcome and who one day, though I cry now, will wipe my tears away. Certainly. Uh, so thank you. Let me ask you one last question, maybe two. Uh, you've spent some time in the states, lots of time in the states over the years. Uh, what what's what's your uh, what's one thing that you find odd about the church in America? I didn't give you any chance to think about this in advance. So just first thing that you think about. Uh, so the church in America has traditionally been a more dominant force in the nation's life uh, that's unlike australia and consequently i think though it impacts us in australia too evangelical christians have been quite keen to pursue power mm. and i think actually part of the reason why we're not good at lamenting is because lamenting actually bespeaks powerlessness yeah and we've become so practiced at pursuing power mm. that we've emotionally spiritually theologically lost the capacity to uh, place ourselves in a powerless position and know that it's honoring of god so that's part of my reflection church services are more formal than they are in australia uh, church services where people still might wear ties i mean that's almost unheard of now where i come from is that is that strange i wear a tie most sundays yeah i do find it strange or oh. where i go to church uh, undergraduates who wear a sports coat or a sports a jacket to come to church which is almost unheard of in my parts so church in america is much more formal uh as well so what's your favorite thing to let's see what has been your favorite thing you did this week here here in the in in southwest virginia well, it wasn't even in Southwest oh, Virginia. Oh, Kentucky. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I teach church history, right? So I visited the Cane Ridge Meeting House in Paris, Kentucky, which is where the Second Great Awakening broke out. And I had a, an absolutely magnificent day speaking to the curator and learning a little bit about not only Kentucky history, antebellum history, but also the uniqueness of the revival that came from there. That was just magnificent. And and you stayed with a with a guy with a gentleman. Can you get, tell me a little bit about him? So I stayed in a bed and breakfast place in Paris, in Paris. or in Stoner Creek, actually, just outside Stoner of Paris. Stoner Creek. Stoner okay. Creek, named after a German apparently, whose name was Steiner, but the locals didn't Stoner. find his name so sure. easy to pronounce. Uh, his name, at least, he introduced himself to me as Captain Pat. Captain Pat. Hey, Captain Pat, if you're listening out there. Captain Pat should be listening. In fact, I might email him to yeah. suggest he listens in. And Shout out to Captain Pat. Yeah, it's a great B&B. Uh, he gave me a tour of Paris and I met the mayor and I met the uh, local priest and I met a distiller who has an MDiv from Asbury. Yes, the, the uh, Masters of Divinity Distiller. <laughs> That's the one. In Bourbon Masters County. Distilling. <laughs> That's good. Okay, thanks again, Reese. Thank you for spending time with us here tonight. Uh, thank you for giving us a lot to think about when it comes to lament and giving, giving our emotions, words, speaking uh, the Psalms, spending time in the Word. Uh, thank you for your time oh, with us. It's quite a pleasure. Thanks, and, and And you listeners out there, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks again to Sugar and the High Lows and their song, Letting Us License Their Song, See It For Yourself. Again, if you have questions, comments, feedback, 
info at gospelunderground.org. Hit us up at info at gospelunderground.org. We will be back soon. Reed and I will be in the Shed Quarters, Power of Change Shed Quarters soon. As always, the Gospel Underground is a, a joint project between the Bonhoeffer House and Power of Change. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Be listening. <laughs>